You are listening to the Smaller Your Hunting podcast, the podcast dedicated to just anything and everything that is the white-tailed deer. You know me, I'm Ty Miller, your host, founder, and the voice of smallacrehunting.com. You are the ones that made this turn from a blog to a website to a YouTube channel to everything that it is. So hopefully you find this new venture, this new consistent delivery of information via the podcast useful. But less chatting on the intro, more chatting on the topic. Let's get this episode started. Let's talk whitetails. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Small Like Your Hunting Podcast. It is many of ours favorite time of the year we are literally at the cusp of when everything's gonna let loose some of us have already seen if you haven't you probably will see signs of estrus in does beginning to happen Um, you know there's a big misnomer out there that the breeding cycle uh, is not very big everybody thinks of the rut as this like just this tiny little window but actually breeding can occur in many states as early as September 1st all the way until you know February 1st Um, it's a big bell curve the most intense time period is the rut right smack dab in the middle and we are almost there guys this is my favorite time or one of my favorite times to be out in the woods because it just takes that first doe in the area to come in and I mean it can it can even get the mature bucks on their feet get them amped up get them moving and a grooving and be more killable for you. So we're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss my season and how it's kind of unfolding right now. I have punched a buck tag if you haven't uh, heard already, but I'm not done. Uh, Thanks to some of the properties that I own or have permission to hunt in, being inside of uh, reduction zones here in Indiana, I do actually have a second buck tag. So We're going to talk about that, some of my plans and strategies for that, and if I were you, what I would be focusing on. That, in this episode of the Small Your Hunting Podcast. Let's talk whitetails. All right, guys, so let's get this thing started with just one of the quickest uh, answers, kind of, to a question I got emailed to me. Uh, I think it's been, let me pull up the email. It was about three days ago, November 1st. So yeah, it's been uh, four days. It's uh, November 5th when I'm recording this, and hopefully I will get it uh, rendered and edited up and tonight or tomorrow. So you could be the 6th by the time this is live. But uh, Max wrote in and asked, you know, he gave me kind of a scenario, and, and you get this a lot, and they're just like, you know, what would you do in my shoes? Well, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Right now, what I would be focusing on is the does. It's not quite full, you know, once the rut is in full swing and the does are kind of scattered because the bucks are pushing, anything in estrus is getting nudged and separated and just the woods are just a chaotic mess. That's when I really start honing in and setting up on those transitional areas, those funnel areas, between bedding areas. I mean, it it really becomes just a get in a spot where a mature buck's going to be cruising. And, it's, and it can happen at any point in the day. Right now, we're still kind of on that cusp where if you're hunting the does, where they're at, that's going to be hopefully and most likely where you still might be able to catch a buck 
predictably hitting the fields, the food sources, getting out of the bedding areas, following the does, or checking for does. Um, a lot of the two-and-a-half-year-olds right now are just flying around. They're almost acting like yearlings. I went out November 1st and had a bunch of yearling chasing, got some video of one of the eight-pointers um, chasing all around me and everything. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's a fun time to be in the woods, but right now I'd be going to wherever my most recent Intel tells me the does are at. And I would continue to hunt smart and that it, and it's, there is never a time frame during the year where I throw utter caution to the wind and, and, and slide into a spot that I don't have a good entrance or good exit to. Um, there's times where I may push the envelope just a hair, but like, if I don't have a good entrance, good exit, I'm not going to use it. Uh, if that means I have to stay a half hour after dark, or if that means I have to have somebody come and get me out of the tree, I'm going to take those extra steps. I'm not going to push into a stand spot location that the wind isn't, isn't, isn't as I want it. Now that's not to say that I want, or I'm asking the deer to always tailwind. I think when we hear, I think, I think too many people, when they hear people on podcasts or in videos or in forums or anybody talking about hunting, when people say, you know, wait and hunt the perfect wind, hunt the wind. Well, yes, every good hunter that I've ever spoken to pays attention to the wind, but you don't want to try to expect these deer, these mature bucks, especially, you know, we're talking about mature bucks. We're not talking about just trying to fill the freezer or anything like that, just to put that out there. So you're not going to expect a mature deer nine times out of 10 is not going to tailwind. Now there might be situations coming to and from a bedding area or across the open field and situations where they will tailwind, but I'm not going to purposely set up and ask a deer in my given situation, my wind is blowing this way and I expect those deer to just come right with it, have zero chance of my wind hitting them. No, I honestly love hunting crosswinds. It's, it's, it's good enough for me from where they're expecting it to come. The wind's not in their face, but it's hitting them from their side or maybe a quartering front wind to them. And my wind's sliding on past them. And unless they get downwind to me, which is an unpredicted area where I would expect them to travel, which let's be honest, does happen. I'm going to go then, you know, Cicero hunt was a perfect example last year. <clears throat> and to be honest, this, the, the clean 10 from this year was too. So last year I was hunting a stand where I need easterly winds. And to be honest, a slight northeast or a slight southeast are the most deadliest there. And the reason being is most of the early season betting is going to... I was hunting Cicero especially. He was betting to the north of that stand, either directly north or slightly northeast. So if I had a southeast wind... That parallel trail that was 12 to 20 yards behind my stand, he literally was walking into the wind or with the wind hitting his left nostril, and I'm down in front of him, and my wind is blowing parallel with that trail. And there was no way, unless he completely went in an area that was almost nearly impossible for him to get to, to get downwind of me as long as that wind stayed steady. And that's another good example of where I don't like calm and variable winds, light and variable winds, because your scent just kind of falls everywhere. I like a wind to be at least seven miles an hour and steady because then it's more predictable. The stronger a wind gets, the more predictable a wind gets. When I shot that clean 10, I literally was having wind just blast me so hard 
that you couldn't even hear in the audio of some of when I did have the mic on. That's a whole other story. You can't even hardly hear anything except for just wind just blasting that microphone. And it was insane. There were times where it was had to be gusting near 20, if not hitting 20. Um, but it was very much so the same situation. I was expecting the deer to come from the south, which was my left, and enter the field to my right, which was the north. A west wind. And I'm setting up on the east, almost the eastern edge of the field. So a buck or a mature doe coming out in that spot could use their eyes to check the little bit of area that was farther east of them because the wind wouldn't have been in their favor. And then they could use their nose and their eyes to check the entire field blowing across to them. So the wind was in their favor. It was in my favor, but it wasn't like what a lot of people would say is, oh, well, it's the perfect wind because I'm not expecting them to tailwind down that trail. So just keep that in mind. I say all that too. This is not the time to just throw caution in the wind. I will never be that type of person. I don't believe in the long run I'm going to be more successful punching my tag on a mature buck or a buck of the caliber I want by doing so, by just using the old line, well, you can't, you can't catch a fish if your lure's not in the water. You're, you, know, you can't kill him from the couch. Well, there's times where you're best suited to stay on that couch because you don't have a good spot to hunt the deer that you want to hunt. And that kind of leads me into, I guess, one update along my season is the fact that I almost didn't go Saturday. So I killed my buck. The The clean 10 is, is what I'm kind of coining him. I never really had a name for him. But the clean 10 happened November 2nd, uh, Saturday night at about 6.31 p.m. So... The reason why it almost didn't happen, the reason why I didn't go is, you know, I'm limited this year due to just having a new child, having a new job, or working on building a house, or a house build is, is, is starting, and getting this house ready to sell. So a lot of stuff, life, just summarize it, life. So I'm really limited to, I work a, I work a long day, longer day, four days a week, so I can have Fridays off. So I have Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays to hunt. And mornings are usually out of the question just because, you know, he's still only two months old. It's kind of a rough time frame. And if I can help, that's the best time where I'm of great assistance so mom can sleep. So I'm basically limited to hunting three days, three afternoons a week. And even then, you know, we've had things come up. There's other things that happen. So the whole month of October, I think I hunted three or four times. And this was a, this was coming from a guy where I have multiple different locations to hunt in October until gun season, I think we have seven different properties that we have permission to hunt, and then we lose two, three of them. Um, but I normally will, you know, hunt at least two times a week, maybe three times a week. There were times last year if I'd spread out hunts four times a week, and this year I hunted four times in all of October. So Saturday, I get done hunting there. Let me back up. Friday night, I hunted the swamp property is where I, I shot the clean ten. And I, I hunted I hunted that same stand that I described and saw a lot of deer, saw that young buck, saw three young bucks actually, but just nothing worth shooting until after way legal time. I could just barely make out the frame. And it may have been the buck that I killed. I don't know. Just a better frame buck, at least a three and a half year old by the body size. So Saturday comes around and I'm really hoping I need easterly winds to go in and hunt my top two bucks. I just that's the winds perfect right now or northerly would work and i could hunt a lower percentage likely stand at this point 
But easterly winds puts me in in a killer spot, saddled around three different bedding areas within at least 30 to 80 yards away, killer access and entrance, almost foolproof unless it's just light and variable winds. So I keep begging for anything from a north, even an east-northeast to an east-southeast or a southeast-northeast. I mean, it, I would even take a really strong dead north. I can't do a real strong dead south because of the bedding area, but dead south of that stand is not a highly expected bedding spot. They do bed there, though, but, you know, I need that, and it's never worked out. The only time we've had easterly winds, I hunted it one time on October 4th, I think it was this year, and then it's always happened during the week when I'm at work. Never been able to slip out the new job. I don't have time saved up. I do finally have some time that I can utilize, some comp time now, but I'm waiting. It just won't happen. So Saturday rolls around. I'm holding I'm holding my two-month-old, watching college football, Um I'm a Notre Dame Irish fan, so I was very upset. They were doing terrible. Granted, it was a mid-afternoon game, so I had left by the time uh, the game, I think, was at like nearly halftime or something like that. But anyways, I had every excuse in my mind not to go. I was like, the wind's not. I can't go hunt the bucks I want. This property has some good bucks, but not amazing bucks. You know, I just... I blew a doe last night when I got out of that stand. I just don't know. I don't want to, I'm not shooting a doe. I've already earned my reduction zone tag. That's not a stand location that we. I shoot a doe out of. I, I prefer to shoot bucks out of there as close as it is to the bedding area. If I'm going to booger up that area, I want it to have antlers. So I start thinking about all that, and then I'm like, you know, but I've been so limited with time. And I'm texting some of my hunting buddies, and they're razzing me. They're, you know, they're like, you need to get out there. Pops is telling me I need to get out there. He's going out there. He's going to try to lay down a doe about 400 yards to my northwest from where I ended up. Uh, much higher likelihood of does to come where he's at, less likelihood of bucks unless there's a doe that's in heat. Um, so I do end up hitting the stand. I take the camera equipment. I take all that stuff, and wouldn't you know, it all just comes together. So uh, I didn't see much activity. I had a fawn, a doe fawn out in the food plot when I got there. She fed around a little bit. And then around 625, 624, almost a full hour before uh, legal time was up, plenty of light left. Three does came waltzing out of the sanctuary, and with them was this, uh, I think he's a three-and-a-half-year-old. He's definitely not older than four-and-a-half. I think he's a three-and-a-half-year-old deer. I'm going to get the teeth looked at, but uh, this great, clean, you know, pretty good racked uh, 10-pointer, and I've got the camera running, i got everything working, it's been sleeting that day, I have limited time, and, and my gut instinct when I first saw him was grab the bow, so I'm not one to live in regrets, and I don't regret it at all, and, you know, he, he stepped out after a really long time, I was at full draw for, I'd, I'll have to look at the video, I got both angles, the GoPro got it all, and so did my other camera. And uh, keep an eye out on on YouTube and Facebook uh, for that video of the hunt to be released. But uh, I was at full draw for a long time before he finally stepped out, gave me a 20-yard shot, 9.5 ringed him, didn't quite 10 ring him. And he died, actually. I heard him fall in some water down in the field, but I just couldn't see it. So we gave him a good hour before we went and looked, and he was dead right where I thought he was. So just a great buck, great hunt. And uh, Pops didn't end up getting a shot that night. He had he had he he saw some deer, but uh, nothing came down to give him a shot. And then he actually hit the tree Monday night, 
in hopes that another buck, because uh, I pulled the card that night at the stand I shot my buck at, and there's a couple other bucks out there showing up. There's one buck that's really awesome, oddball. He's a He's got to be a five-and-a-half-year-old deer now. Um, he was three-and-a-half and 18. No. So he's at least a four-and-a-half-year-old buck this year. I think he's a five-and-a-half-year-old deer, um, given all of our history dating back to 2016 and all. He uh, never really has grown much on one side, but he's gotten really wide, and he's finally put some points on. Um, he's not going to score real high, but he's very impressive, huge body. And there's a couple other good bucks out there, um, so hopefully Pops can connect with one of them. But now that I've punched my, you know, and I have two, I had two buck tags going into that night, so that might also, you know, cause me to have no doubt about shooting that buck as well. I don't know. But uh, now I have two properties that I can hunt, and it's the one that I shot the clean 10 on. And another one, uh, my place, that I can hunt reduction zone. So I am after just two bucks. So no matter what property I'm at, it's it's those two bucks or none. Um, unless, obviously, you know, if, if just an absolute giant walks out, I'm not going to pass him up. But uh, that's kind of a quick update of my season. It's been It's been a very, very limited time on stand, but honestly, you know, looking back on it, to hunt as little as I have and to have a, I shot a button buck earning my reduction zone uh, second buck tag. I thought it was a one and a half year old doe. It ended up being a button buck uh, on October. I'd have to look back through the notes, but I don't remember, but uh, it was mid-October, give or take a little bit, and then uh, on November 2nd to have this guy down. So, it's been an amazing year. Honestly, God is good uh, with the very limited amount of time to just have a good buck down um, and to have earned a second buck tag already, and we're not even to the rut yet. We're not to gun season here in Indiana when everything kind of changes and goes crazy. It's 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 good. So what I'm going to be focusing on is what I think everybody should be focusing on, continue to hunt smart and wait for the right situations. Um, I don't even necessarily know if I'm going to hunt this week just because I don't have the perfect scenarios to go in on those deer. There is a couple other properties that, <coughs> excuse me, I could go to and maybe just, uh, target a doe. Um, who knows if, if the weather's not perfect, I might, I'm doing the Euro mount of my clean 10 myself. I could do that. I could work on the house because we're getting ready to sell it and everything, but uh, I'm not going to push in and be stupid because I really would like to tag one of these two deer. So we'll see. Maybe I'll set up somewhere and, and film pops. I have no idea, but uh, we will proceed into November, uh, the best time of the year, honestly. This is the time of year where you're going to have start having some stranger bucks show up. That's always very exciting and very unique. Um, had a couple friends text that they've had a couple already start pouring in here in northern Indiana. And uh, it's always so much fun to to catch sight of a buck that you don't have history with, although it is, you know, it's very exciting to, to build that history with deer and everything. But as, if it's anything like what I experience is a lot of these stranger bucks, these bucks that show up, they they begin to to do this on a pattern year to year. They have a tendency. And... uh you may not be able to hone in down to like the day that they're there, but like we had one buck that I named Godzilla that he swung in four days before or after Christmas every single year. I mean, he was just an absolute giant, but you could tell towards the post rut, 
he was starting to widen his searches for those last remaining does, and he would always, always, always come through. And you're gonna, sh- you're gonna, you see, you know. So when you see these stranger bucks, catalog them, save them, make an Excel spreadsheet, write down when they're there. And especially as that deer ages, you may by year three know, okay, this is the time frame. This is the week or two where he starts showing up. I need to, I need to get out there to this property with the right conditions. And I may not see many deer, but I might see the deer. I might see the deer that I want to use my tag on. And so make sure, make sure you're keeping track of that. Trying to think of uh, a few other points that I wanted to bring up. But, uh, yeah, I think now I'll go to another question, actually, that I had in. A lot of you guys have always been very curious of the gear that I use. You know, I'm not sponsored. So I, I think it comes back to the fact that a lot of you feel that, you know, I'm more genuine than a lot of people because I... I you know, I, I don't get paid to use any of these products. I don't. I don't get any of these products. Um, I've won some of these products and giveaways and such. But, uh, but yeah, a lot of people wondered about my new arrow build. How I feel it's been performing. For those of you who don't know, last year I went through one of the most heart wrenching um, nights and next days. I searched for about forty eight hours and scoured every single square yard of the property that I hunt because I hit a doe. Um, I'm fairly certain I hit shoulder, did not get enough penetration to kill this deer, at least not in a recovery distance, not in a in an area that I could find or locate. And I said I would never let that happen again. I've always wanted to build a heavier arrow. I've always wanted to break that 600 grain mark. I'm a big believer in, you know, some of Dr. Ashby's stuff about FOC and momentum and high arrows or a high arrow weight and such. So I built a whole new setup. I I hit 604 grains, and you know, knowing I was going to talk about this, I probably should have pulled my sheet that I have made up, but I don't remember what the FOC is. I know it's above 15, but I shoot Black Eagle Deep Impacts. Um, I believe it's the 300 spine. Um, Don't quote me on that, but I'm almost positive. Actually, hang on just a second. All right, I, I went over and grabbed one, and I shoot, like I was saying, Black Eagle Deep Impact. It is the 300 spine. And Blazer Veins, Glory Knox. I love Glory Knox, Illuminated Knox. This being a micro-diameter arrow, just for those of you who are considering it, the Glory Knox diameter is just a hair bigger than what the micro-diameter shafts of the Deep Impacts are by Black Eagle. So there's a little bit of a ridge of a logo almost kind of, and you just have to take a little bit of sandpaper to the glory knock, and then it fits like a charm. So I love it. It's almost more snug than, than the standard if, if it's the right size. So I, I prefer that. Um, up front, I shoot outserts. I got the steel, steel outserts by Black Eagle, not just the standard ones. So that's an extra, I think, 50 or 80 grains. I can't remember. And then I've got a 200-grain uh, tip. I chose the Grizzly Stick Samurai single bevel heads. So it's a two-blade, single bevel um, broadhead. You can check those out. I think it's still alaskanbowhunting.com. But if you if you just Google Grizzly Stick Samurai, um, you'll see the heads that I'm shooting. And a lot of people dog these heads. They're only about an inch wide at their bases. And uh, they're cut on contact, obviously. But uh, they're only an inch wide, and the one crazy thing is, and I shared this on Facebook, 
and I think I put it on Instagram as well, but that, that young buck, that button buck that I shot that I thought was a year and a half old doe, the entrance hole and the exit hole was twice the size of that single bevel head. So, and a lot of it, and Dr. Ed Ashby has some videos talking about it, how when that broad head, because it naturally, when it starts seeing resistance because of the single bev nature, bevel nature, it will start twisting. It twists through the air just because of, you know, the design of an arrow and the fletching and everything. But also, that single bevel head causes it to twist. So when it impacts, it it has to twist in order to slide. Um, and that actually creates almost a twist and a snap effect of that skin, that soft tissue. It does the same thing to organs, things of that nature. And that's one of the reasons why when it impacts bone, it doesn't just have to force its way through. It literally goes in there and then snaps it. So it just it, it is devastating on bone. It literally goes in there and almost like pries that bone, just boom, just pries it and snaps it open because it forces it to separate, leaving you, and I'm a big believer in tapered arrow shafts, so another part of my build that I really like is the fact that these use a outsert. So once my outsert makes it through the deer, there is like no drag almost at all through that because now the shaft is a smaller diameter than my head and the outsert, so it has no drag to go through until it hits the fletching. So I have I have been very happy. So to answer a few of you that, you know, wanted my thoughts on it, I am very happy with it right now. Is it overkill for whitetails? Sure. Now I will admit, I don't fear a shoulder anymore. I, I, don't, I don't fear it at all. Now I did notice that on that clean 10 when I shot him, I think I naturally hugged right behind it. And you'll see in the shot, it basically hit exactly where I wanted it to maybe an inch left. Um, but I have no fear of the shoulder bone, even, even that joint. When I shot that button buck, the entrance was back. And when it exited the way that deer was standing, it literally blew the knee joint, the ball. It like, it, it just blew half of that whole joint apart without even missing a beat. And both of my arrows the first time. And then this last, last time on the second through that buck, was shoved in the ground at least six to eight inches deep. I mean, it, it, it's amazing. It, it it slices through it quicker than a warm butter through knife or warm knife through butter. Um, so I'm extremely happy. I don't. I I knew I wouldn't regret it, but it's nice to have confirmation of the setup. Um, I just don't fear anything anymore. I don't have that thought of you know don't impact that shoulder, don't impact that shoulder. And for those of you out there that, you know, you love those big expandable heads, I, I think you stand the most to benefit from adding a lot of weight, adding FOC, because, you know, let's just be honest. This is not a mechanical versus fixed debate or anything like that, but just the pure science behind it, everybody knows that a mechanical shines and outdoes a fixed as far as damage and trauma to soft tissue. A fixed is going to always do better through bone, through hard hard things. And in deer, that's bone. My single bevel head is going to just snap through that stuff. If you're going to shoot an expandable, you want to have the best hard-hitting arrow behind it to where if you do, worst-case scenario, hit that shoulder blade or something like that, that weak mechanical blade and everything like that, it may snap, it may do something, it may get gnarled up but you're going to blow through at least that, that on, on side, that entrance side shoulder. Um, it's just something I encourage people to do. 
everybody wants the fastest setup, the speediest fat, fast setup. And you know what? It's like sex. It sells, it's whatever, but it doesn't mean it's the best setup for you. It doesn't mean it is the one that's going to pack the hardest punch, fly the most consistent, or really truly be the best setup for your 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 setup. So, you know, there's a reason why a lot of traditional and longbow shooters out there, you know, they're not shooting the poundage, they're not shooting the speeds that we are, but they're shooting heavier arrows than a lot of guys out there launching, com- you know, pulling back 70 pounds in their compound bows. Think about that. Think about that. So... I think that's all I got, guys. That's the update of my season. The clean 10 um, was such a blessing. Uh, stay tuned to see that video. It's not going to be a real real long one. It's not going to be all you know a ton of stuff, but it'll be great to see uh, my first hunt captured on film with a harvest on film. There is a small caveat. I kind of thought the mic was turned on, and it wasn't. But it was great footage amazing footage so if i do say so myself if i'd have had the audio on it was better than anything that you see out. i mean it was as good as anything that you see out there by the people who are actually getting paid to do this so i i am pretty proud of that and uh we took some uh, trophy photos uh the next day and my son bryson got to be in a part of those and and i tell you what he just makes everything better and it was probably the most special photo shoot session ever with him and he tried to reach out and touch the deer a couple times. It was so it was it was just a good time. It was just awesome. So hopefully that's not the last buck to go down this year for me. And I know it won't be the last buck for between me and Pops cuz I just have a feeling I know he's going to connect here any day now. I know a lot of you guys are con- going to connect. Let me know how your seasons are going. Check in on Facebook, message me, send me trophy photos, especially if you hunt small acres like me. Um That's all I got, guys. As always, God bless and good luck out there. As I already said before, thank you for listening to this episode of the Small Acre Hunting Podcast. Hopefully, wherever you find yourself, private, public, big land, small land, new hunter or old hunter, there's something that you've learned. For ultimately, that's all I care about. If you have any topic discussion ideas for the Small Acre Hunting Podcast, be sure to email me at smallacrehunting at gmail.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to all the videos on YouTube. Like and follow the Facebook page. Check out the website from time to time. And as always, stay tuned for the next episode of the Small Acre Hunting Podcast. God bless and good luck out there.